So how or about the, uh, the ancestral guardian one where like some tanking one out? He keeps doing it. He keeps saying the ancestral guardian. <laughs> Did I do that again? Oni Chan. Baka hentai. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's probably for the best. Idiot pervert. Oh. No, you forgot brother. Brother, you are an <laughs> idiot pervert. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> Welcome to Monsters and Multiclass, your weekly Dungeons and Dragons fix between your sessions. I'm Kevin Odie. I'm Jared Bornigal. And I'm Will Melvin. And we'll be hanging out with you for the next hour to talk about anything and everything Dungeons Dragons related. This is episode number four. We'll be taking a look at the Monk Barbarian Multiclass and then the monster the Oblex from Mordekainen's Tome of Foes. So hang out for a bit and pull up a chair. Everybody give a quick hand to Kevin. He did get Tome of Foes right. It's taken a few tries, but we're slowly getting the names of the books down. <laughs> As real experts, we always struggle with the titles of the books themselves. Of course. Less so the contents. Ten takes. Ten takes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Tome of Foes. Tome of Foes. There we go. All right. So, as Kevin mentioned, today we're going to be talking about the Monk Barbarian Multiclass. As usual, let's go ahead round and give some first impressions. Will, let's start with you. What are you thinking? You know, this is a class that actually, much like the Barbarian Rogue, does lend itself to some level of viability, uh, both on the mechanical and the RP side. It's got attributes that do line up for once once again dexterity is always valuable in any character you build uh wisdom would be their secondary stat that they share as well it's uh it's not bad if you ask me yeah uh kevin yeah i i agree i think there's definitely a lot here to work with um you, ultimately you are probably playing as a strength-based monk which is not typical or standard but i think it works fine actually really all it hurts i think is the the flecked missile which is not anything big by that he means the most important thing a monk generally gets (laughs) the ability to throw arrows back is just so cool kevin they do it like twice yeah i know it kind of sucks right and you also have to spend a key point uh but in general dex isn't going to be entirely gimped it's still as will said viable on almost any character you make uh, deck saves are very frequent. Uh, but I think the thing that I like about this is it actually has some some good RP to it. I don't think we're going to have to stretch too much for this one compared to a lot of the uh, other ones we've talked about so far. Such as? All of them, quite frankly. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> What are your examples of good RP? We could start there. Right. Well, uh, when I think of monks, I think of a lot of the yin and yang. And monks and barbarians are on both ends of those spectrums. Uh, So where barbarians are very rage-induced, monks are very peaceful. uh, So you get a lot of that interpersonal conflict where you're almost tapping into one or the other side, where your monk side is going to be the more cool, calm, and collective, and your barbarian is unleashing your inner fury. I can see that working. There's also a lot of discipline kind of innate to all these things. The barbarian, you don't often think discipline, but as kind of a nomadic tribal flavor, they have a devotion that's very similar in the way of the martial arts that the monks do. You know, you've got some level of isolation, some level of very ascetic lifestyle. They kind of feed back into each other. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, Jared, you've got a pretty cool concept for the uh, Monk Barbarian. What do you think? Uh, it's less so extremely cool, mechanically speaking. Uh, it's it's more in line with how I mentioned that uh, yin and yang aspect. Um, I really like the idea of uh, interpersonal conflict on this one. Maybe like a, a half-orc dropped on the steps of a monastery who is fighting with his internal rage. And he can go back and forth on, on what best suits the, the situation. Uh, but it comes down to more of a, a flavorful RP aspect where uh, 
maybe there's times when he's supposed to be very uh, calm, but is having more of a uh, an outrage moment, uh, which is out of combat, we're talking. Uh, in combat is one of those, well, this is the, the time to rage, so it's time to rage. Um, as for subclasses, as, well, Will, you mentioned, there's a lot of uh, isolation and... Uh, devotion to a, a singular thing. Uh, so that taps into a lot of the barbarians focus on everything besides the path of the berserker, uh, which as was previously discussed, just not a very great subclass, but totem warrior, you're getting into a spiritual journey type deal. Very similar to monks. Um, path of the zealot will RP wise, mesh very well together uh as for the monk subclasses it can really you're probably going to be a little less uh versatile uh I, I can't see way of the shadow working very well with barbarians no that definitely lends itself to a much more uh well a much less brutal and in your face kind of class as compared to like a martial arts type Monk. Right. Whereas uh, Way of the Four Elements could pair fairly well. I, mean, I know the, the class itself isn't too great, but the Storm Herald, or is that what it's? Yeah, Storm, Storm Herald Barbarian. Uh, those could go kind of hand in hand with that elemental focus. Really just giving up all mechanical usefulness <laughs> for the sake of flavor. That's what I'm all about. Taking one for the RP team. <laughs> As we've previously discussed, none of us are big fans of the. Way of the Four Element Monk or the Storm Herald Barbarian. They just kind of mechanically leave a lot to be desired. Yeah, but <clears throat> the Kensai Monk can make up for a lot of the, uh, I guess, downsides that will come from, from multi-classing between the two, as you can choose what you want as your, your monk weapon, uh, which lets your early levels... Uh, kind of branch out more with your, your weapon choices if you don't want to just do a two-handed barbarian. Uh, I guess we, we did discuss earlier that there's no issue with having a two-handed weapon and then kicking and punching afterwards. Mm -hmm. The question but, is, uh, does the Kanasi gives you no limitations on the weapons you can choose? Correct. No, it does. Uh, it cannot be heavy, it cannot be special. Ooh, so that right. does give you some. Yeah, all two handed weapons are out, and all of the the martial arts stuff, like getting the bonus action attack, um, when you like the bonus unarmed attack, when you attack as a monk, it has to be with a monk weapon. So you're looking at either a dual wielding barbarian, or right. doing like a long sword and using it versatile with the two hands for a d10, which is an option, and it's not. We're talking the difference between a d10 and a. D12 slash 2D6. It's not a catastrophic loss. No, absolutely not. So, circling back, actually, what you were saying about a half-orc left on a monastery step, uh, a half-orc's actually perfect for that. Um, one of the, with the lore of orcs, they're tied to Groomsh, who is the orc god and is extremely angry and vengeful because he was pretty much given a, all the other gods basically teamed up against him and didn't give his people a place and all that. And that's because he was shit. Sure, maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, all orcs have a tie to Groomsh, and Groomsh's will is the orc's will. And that's why orcs are seen as angry and savage and going out and attack. A half-orc has the ability to choose, but they always hear Groomsh's presence, feel Groomsh's presence, and hear, kind of hear him and what he wants. And it's up to them to embrace that or fight it. And that actually works perfectly with a half-orc monk barbarian. Like yeah. Sometimes they, they give in to the groom's side. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I am was kind of playing around with, with other ideas. Uh, main one was, was always that uh, redemption arc of a barbarian who's tired of being so angry and more or less goes to a monastery for... Uh, some anger management. Uh, the other side would be a monk that's more trained in the use of channeling their anger. Could be a good way to, to flavor that as barbarian. 
even on a uh, root level, you could have a nomadic type people who were focused on martial arts and that rage balance. Right. Where it's never going to be that change. Every person out of this will always focus on a split between the martial arts and the rage of the barbarian. Of course. Or they could argue that they feel rebelling against traditional monk teachings where the control, inner peace, stuff like that, where the, they feel if they truly give in to their emotions, their their technique, their martial arts, what have you, are actually improved. Right. And that could also then be a reason why they're adventuring, because they've been kicked out of their monastery. Right. Because of that. So there's, there's it's not like a redemption thing or fighting back and forth. They're trying to embrace both. Yeah. It's actually, it's kind of Star Wars-y with Anakin and... Which were, turned out great. Yeah, no, that's what you were <laughs> describing. Great for him, yeah. You sound like you're describing a bad guy. That's sure. No, I don't need to be calm. I can be angry and good at martial arts. <laughs> that's I don't fine. need anyone. Yeah, not all D&D characters have to be the good guys. We, we play non-good characters all the time. Kevin, we've never once done that. No, actually, you're, one of your characters ended up being a big, bad, evil guy in my campaign because they were so secretly evil. That was a good choice. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, that actually does have potential as a big, bad, evil guy. Yeah. You lose control of your barbarian next campaign, you got to stop the guy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Or just a compelling character. Yeah. To play. Not, just not the, not the typical lawful good, chaotic good. Hero. Right. Chaotic stupid. Right. Right, and it also it becomes more of a chaotic monk compared to the usual lawful monk. I mean, it's almost written in there that all monks are lawful uh it is in the player's handbook it says that most if not all monks are going to be lawful oh okay except for drunks they don't have to be they don't uh, nothing has to be in previous editions there was yeah there was oh yeah okay there's alignment locks Mm -hmm. well yeah um i do like the idea of going kensai with this just more for utility uh i i think i'm just a huge fan of the kensai monk in general uh, I like the fact that they can have some ranged abilities. I know that doesn't work super well with rage, uh, but with a normal day of adventuring, you shouldn't really be raging every single fight. You're going to run out of those really quickly. And the Kensai just offers some great versatility with that ranged Kensai weapon, which I really appreciate, uh, as well as the Agile Parry, which they get at third level. Which, if they just do any unarmed attack, then they gain plus two bonus to AC. That's just always useful. It's just a, a great ability in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and the flavor one, Way of the Brush, you gain proficiency with your choice of calligraphers, supplies, or painter supplies. <laughs> that one I just is so nice. You're just a, a angry barbarian smashing around, but then what do you do in your free time? Oh, I paint landscapes. It's beautiful. <laughs> just a half-orc in tattered clothes with a bloody great sword on the back. Just yep, just sitting there and drawing. Yep, it'd be great. I like the uh, zen of that. I like uh, picturing them doing calligraphy. Yeah. No, calligraphy is an absolutely beautiful art. Just them writing, like, murder, <laughs> like, sloppy script, and they're like, yes, this is good art. This has calmed my soul. <laughs> At 6th uh, level with Kensai, they all Kensai weapons count as magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks and damage. Uh, that one can really vary in usefulness based on the campaign. A low-level magic campaign, it's so useful. But at 6th level, there's a pretty good chance that you might have like a, a plus one weapon of some sort mm-hmm. uh, up to your DM. Uh, but I do like it. Whereas Death Strike... You can spend one key point to cause the weapon a ranged... Or I don't think it has to be ranged. Yeah, you can two, one, uh, spend one key point to cause the weapon to deal extra damage to the target equal to your martial arts die. You can use this feature only once on each of your turns. Uh, it's just giving more key versatility and allowing you to kind of stack up with that rage damage. Definitely. So I, with the Way of the Sun Soul Monk, I wonder how that... I'm actually not sure on this, how it's going to mesh with Barbarian. So, the Way of the Sun Soul, it adds a lot with spending a key point to produce the effects of a spell. And one of the things is, well, Raging, you can't cast spells. Right. But you're not, you're not casting the spell in the typical sense. You're not using up a spell slot. So, counterpoint to that, 
uh, in Searing Arcstrike at level 6, it says you can spend two key points to cast the burning spell, burning hand spell as a bonus action. It does specifically call out casting there. Okay. So that's one of those things. It's not exactly clear, but it kind of falls to you to be like, uh, I don't know if this is going to work. And the Sun Soul is, it, it's an interesting class, but it's definitely a distance one. And one I would probably avoid if I was going to go for the Barbarian route. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as for main class features, even just stepping away from, from subclasses for a minute here, uh, they both have unarmored defense, so that can be... That's a bad thing. Yeah, that's Universally. not good. But they also just get it at level one. So it's really not a big deal. You just take the one that suits your stats better. Right. Not a huge deal. Um, danger sense and evasion go really well together. Uh, monks get evasion at level seven. Barbarians level two. Uh, that we kind of talked about with rogues because they have the same ability evasion. Uh, always super useful. Just get advantage and then have on deck saves. The both get unarmored movement. So does that stack? No. Do they get a plus a- anything like that is never going to stack. No, you, if they have well, the same they, name... They don't. It's fast movement and unarmored movement. Oh, then they stack. Rules say if they have the same name, you only get one. If they have different names, they stack. So by 5th level... if you, Well, 5th fi- level barbarian and... 2nd level monk. Yeah. Plus 20. That's 50 feet of movement for a, a standard race. Yeah. Um, that's... That's awesome. I kind of question if that's viable and allowed, but it's not. It's not that out of control, to be honest. No, even let's let's say that that doesn't work. You're still just from monks. You get tons of unarmored movement. The extra ten feet isn't going to change that much. Uh, but just at such a low level, it's nice. The possibility of it would be nice. Yeah. And then um, Reckless Attack, actually, with the monk stuff, is going to be really great. That's a lot of attacks at advantage. Exactly. Yeah, and, and so you're blows. you're getting tons there. Uh, does So for Brutal Critical, it mentions that it has to be a weapon damage die. So that would not count with your Flurry of Blows. That's Because that's an unarmed attack, right? That'd be considered mm, simple martial. So. Or are your well, fists considered your monk weapons, making I mean, that a weapon attack? I would... I would think it would be a weapon attack. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Okay, so that's just giving you tons of opportunities for a, a brutal critical. I mean, Flurry of Blows is just a great feature in general. Uh, it'd be pretty tough to be... Let's see, you'd have to get 5th level in Monk to get 1d6. And then Brutal Critical is ninth level. So we're looking at level 14 for that to really play out. I guess we shouldn't mm-hmm. include Brutal Brutal critical too much. Excuse me, I just messed up any type of speech there. Uh, so, is there one that's kind of better to go further in than another that you're seeing? Monks Do- get features. Uh, barbarians get kind of uh, just raw use. Right. I and mean, one thing that I like about monks is they just keep improving steadily. Their martial arts die goes up, which means their unarmored uh, or unarmed attack is just going to keep getting better. They keep getting more key points, which can just be extremely versatile, uh, especially with the flurry of blows, of course. Um, now, they also get the ability to... What is it here? Deflect missile. That's what we're looking at. No, patient defense. So dodge as a bonus action. Step of the wind. Spend one key to take the disengage or dash action as a bonus action on your turn. And your jump distance is doubled for the turn. Uh, so, I mean, really they get a lot of the stuff that like rogues get for a bonus action. They just have it a little bit more limited where they can't do it absolutely mm-hmm. every time. Uh, but once you get to those mid to higher levels, you're do- using one key point just isn't a huge deal. Uh, depending on the monk subclass you go with, you might not even be using that much key as it is. The Wave of the Four Elements uses a lot. Kensai doesn't use too much. Um, how about Wave of the Open Hand? That uses a decent amount. Your Wave of the Open Hand is a great universal monk subclass. Yeah, it, it is. It is the archetype that is much... It's got a lot of similarity to the Rogue Assassin. It's just... 
the perfect embodiment of a monk in my personal view. Right. Um, you do use a lot, and a lot of that is going to be unarmed stuff. So you'll be kind of flipping back to stuff like shouldering your battle axe and punching somebody in the face. And then you're like stunning them and stuff like that. Yeah. Knocking them back. It's actually cool utility. Is a great subclass. One of my personal favorites. Yeah, it's very well balanced and, and finely tuned. Uh, I especially love that that level 11 ability. The uh, tranquility. Beginning at 11th level, you enter a special meditation that surrounds you with an aura of peace. At the end of a long rest, you gain the effect of sanctuary spell that lasts until the start of your next long rest. Uh, sanctuary, correct me if I'm wrong, is the one that just makes it so everybody has disadvantaging or sorry it's sanctuary yeah no, wait i'm sorry I, i'm blanking now it's yeah, sanctuary it's sanctuary it's it, it lasts a, actually the raw spell doesn't last long getting it through that effect does and it it's um if somebody goes to attack you they have to like pass a wisdom save that's it thank you but the moment you cast a spell or attack someone else it ends i don't feel like it would in this case. I wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. You said a spell. A spell doesn't protect. Makes an attack or casts a spell that affects an enemy creature. The spell ends. So yeah, you can't be ambushed by uh, martial wielding creatures. Is essentially the way it is. So is it is it really just going to end after somebody makes after you make an attack? Yeah. Yes. Huh. Okay. So it's really not that. No, that's great. really not that great. It's just like your very first fight for the day you get. Yeah. Unless you make, make a wisdom saving throw against you. I mean, you. if you make a pacifist character, which some people try and do sometimes. Never do that. Where they won't actually attack anyone. They'll just support the party. But I feel like Monk is not the way to do that. So. A way of the open hand would be because they can do Monk Barbarian. But. <laughs> My pacifist Monk Barbarian. Okay. So, okay. that I'll, I'll take that back. That's basically useless um what was the other one there was the level 17 ability which is just ridiculous and you probably won't get to in a multi-class quivering palm yeah spend three key points you throw some vibrations through them and then you make them do a constitution saving throw if they fail they just drop to zero hit points if they succeed they take 10 d10 necrotic damage um i mean Hey, I can imagine a world where I just go up to third level Barbarian and then just go for that Quivering Palm. It's such a good ability. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I know it's 17th level, so you, you've you earned it at that point. But if that was my capstone as a monk, I wouldn't even be upset. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a perfect monk capstone if you're looking for one. Right. So, I mean, then you'd get, like, your Primal Path. So maybe you just go uh, Bear Totem. Then you've got your... Uh, resistance to absolutely everything besides psychic. Um, twice it, a day. Twice a day. Yeah. Only twice a day. But, you know, I mean, there are... I don't... If you go up to level three, it'll be three times a day. Okay. So, I mean, there's more... There are worse things. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I'm looking not... at Channel Divinity, just as an example, that's usually the, uh, the it's time to go hard moment, whereas mm-hmm. that rage is something you can do three times a day. That's that's pretty pretty useful. Yeah. Hold on, Blaine. So as a monk, just a quick dip into Barbarian actually gets you quite a bit, regardless of which path you go. Um, one level dip is going to give you Rage, uh, another chance of unarmored defense in case it's higher. Uh, two levels are going to give you Reckless Attack to get advantage and all this stuff, which again, as we talked about, pairs beautifully with Flurry of Blows and most of that monk stuff because they get a lot of attacks. And danger sense, which is just universally useful. And then third level, you get the first skill of whatever primal path you choose. Be the barbarian, where you get resistance and everything. I just love saying barbarian. I can tell. I'm going to keep doing it. I um, wish you wouldn't. It's going to happen. So how or about the, uh, the ancestral guardian one, where... Make some tanky one out. He keeps doing it. He keeps saying the ancestral guardian. <laughs> Did I do that again? Oni Chan. Baka hentai. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's probably for the best. Idiot pervert. Oh. No, you forgot brother. Brother, you are an idiot pervert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> ancestral 
protectors starting when you choose this path at third level spectra warriors appear when you enter your rage while you're raging the first creature you hit with an attack on your turn becomes the target of the warriors which hinder its attacks until the start of your next turn the target has disadvantage on any attack rolls that isn't against you and when the target hits a creature other than you with an attack that creature has resistance to the damage dealt by the attack all right so is that really worth a third level dip probably not it doesn't no, sound i, I would i would take the bear totem one right like when we mix it up with uh the rogue that was really nice because then you're just like also getting out of there mm -hmm. now monks can disengage as a bonus action for key for key one key it, if we're talking about only dipping in three points you're gonna have a whole bunch of key to work with and that's mm -hmm. more on the first of a of a combat first turn of a combat so not to get into the the min maxi feel here but you have that time where you start, you hold until one of your other people runs up. You also run up, use your ancestral protectors here, and then dip out of there as a bonus action. Yeah. It's a possibility. I know yeah. it's like, it's, I'm always on that, uh, that fine line of like, well, you're kind of doing it in a mid maxi way. It's like, yeah, but if I'm traveling with these people all the time, at some point we're going to be like, Hey guys, for some reason we get into combat four to six times a day. Maybe we should discuss how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of reasonable. Yeah. No, we, we've always ruled it where I, I've heard discussions about, Oh, when you're in combat, the players should not be able to talk amongst themselves and strategize because you're in combat and that's unrealistic. Except for these are, in our case, we're a bunch of nerdy office workers who get winded walking to the end of the street. I resent that. All right, we're not that out of shape. But um, <laughs> where was I going with this? No, we're good. I just wanted to admit that we're all really out of shape. <laughs> I think you got winded on the way to that punchline. <laughs> no, it wasn't a joke. I had a point. Next week on D&D, &D, <laughs> exercises for your traditional tabletop game group. How to not get winded going down to the end of the street. <laughs> <laughs> so th these are these characters controlled by these players with no combat experience generally. Um, and we get together once a week and a lot of things are glossed over. When, But the characters you are controlling are professional adventurers, whatever that really means. But and Murder hobos. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> And they're all well-trained, and they are leagues above the average human and anything that they try to be at, generally. And then they spend all this time traveling together, knowing combat's happening. And so there's going to be discussions on tactics and strategy. And usually, the way to kind of abstract that and show it, because there's no real good way to do that you know, in-game in and make up for that just kind of tactical synergy and intuition that all these characters are going to have is let the players just discuss it for a time. Right, definitely. And even more than just them traveling together and being able to talk together, uh, it's just that, as you said, that that intuition that they have, where they have seen their, their buddy here uh, fighting for however long, and they don't even need to sit down and discuss it. They just know they do that. And when they do that, it'd be really good if I did this. Right. And again, they're they're trained warriors. That's the point of this. If I wanted to roleplay as a super nerdy dude who never left his basement, then I'd have picked a wizard. Because wizards are garbage. <laughs> They're totally not. That's just the most wrong opinion you've ever had. Wizards are universally amazing. I don't think there's a bad subclass there. The one that isn't being a warlock. <laughs> okay. When in doubt, roll a warlock. It's your turn. What do you do? I Eldritch Blast for the sixth time. <laughs> and do more damage than any other magic caster with a cantrip. We haven't gotten to a warlock yet. No, we they're, haven't. They're really weird multi-classes, obviously. They are yeah. so broken, it's ridiculous. There's definitely broken combinations. It's... Paladin, warlock, sorcerer, warlock. We've got, we've got screaming to do about that, and that's yes. going to be coming up as soon as the dies. Uh, determined should come up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, let's see, are there any other features here that really blend well? Here's the question. Is the, is rage ever going to interfere with your monk, uh, duties? What do you consider monk duties? Whatever your monk can do. So, spellcasting obviously is out. 
Right, as we said. Other the, than that, it's just pure uh, pure goodness. Yeah, that's that's how I've viewed it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the barbarian it, it does pair well with the monk. Yeah. Now, counter to that, I don't think there's ever really like we said, monk. It might be good to just take like 17 levels in and three in barbarian, just like that tiny dip. I don't think it works the other way around. Monks in general, you don't get much from taking a small dip into. They really have just consistent buildup, mm-hmm. whereas barbarians are extremely front loaded. So you get all that that goodness right at the start. And then just keep on riding that wave. Uh, compared to monks, where if you take the first three levels, your punches do more than one damage. Yeah, you get bonus attacks then. So you, you get that. Right, right. But you're just not gaining that much, I feel like. Yeah, and then the initial key stuff, Flurry of Blows. They, I forgot the names of the other ones, but where, where you could disengage as a bonus uh-huh. action with a key is good. And then the dash or, what is it? Step of the Wind. Disengage or dash as a bonus action on your turn. And your dumb jump distance doubled. <laughs> jump <laughs> supremacy. I mean, that's, that's not bad, uh, but you're only having three key points. Yeah, it's pretty limited. Right, compared to a rage where you're going to have three four 18 of those and that just continues to deliver consistently mm-hmm. um i i don't know is there a good reason even to do like a, a half and half no not really to be honest i could see a half and half working like so if we're going with the mythical level 20 multi-class right perfection here quite literally 10 and 10 and i'm sure there's want to optimize it we could bump those up or down a little bit but by 10 of each, you're getting some really decent stuff that meshes well together in both. Prove it. <laughs> it it's, tough to, it's tough to say no to a lot of the monk later stuff. Yeah, it's just good stuff. So, let's see. Extra attacks wasted, obviously. Uh, monk stunning strike. Slow fall is a good utility. Um, is it called slow fall? Yeah. Okay. Feather fall is the spell. Right, right. That's what you're thinking. Yep. Yeah, key empowered strikes, so you get the kind of, you're unarmed, and I think monk attack, monk weapons are considered magical. Um, evasion, which we already talked about, is good. Stillness of mind, what does that give you again? Uh, you can end a condition as a, for a key, I think you can make another save. Or is it stillness of mind? Starting at 7th level, you can use an action to end one effect on, uh, okay. on yourself. It's, okay, it's whatever. Then purity of body, um, immune to disease and poison. Pretty useful Generally, when it happens. Yeah, and then based on what mon- uh, monastic tradition you take, um, open hand technique, you get quite a good stuff in there by level 10. Way of the open hand. Right, level 6 gets you something tasty. Yeah, uh, and then if you... <laughs> no other way to describe that. Uh, what is it? wholeness of body you gain the ability to heal yourself as an action mm-hmm. so that's three times your monk level uh that's pretty useful especially at level 10 that'd be 30 hp can't scoff at that uh barbarian level 10 you get a path feature which is always great um i will say foregoing i, I know as you said we could fine-tune this a lot uh, but going just ninth level in Monk and then 11 in Barbarian gets you that Relentless Rage, which I don't know if is extremely great, uh, but I just like that ability where if you're raging and drop to zero hit points, you can keep on going for a little bit with a really, really low DC con save. Mm-hmm. And then from a role-playing perspective, doing that half and half, there's... It, it, I think the class makes it, these two class combinations make it easy to take one, you know, level up and take monk level, and then level up and take a barbarian level, and back and forth, where with others doesn't really work too well. Yeah. Yeah, this one's flexible on the RP side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Any other last thoughts on monk barbarian? Yes. Actually, the um, the rage damage... Which we haven't really talked about. It's oh, minor, right. but it comes up. It's a, it's always there as long as you're raging. So it starts to add up for a while. Yeah, especially it's, with flurry of blows. It's every strength based attack. So yeah, monk makes really good use of that. Yeah, regardless of tradition or whatever. Right. I mean, even for, just a one level dip 
You get plus two to all that. Flurry of blows. I mean, we're talking. It's a D four at really low levels. Let's say at level two, though. Uh, you're raging. That would be uh, if all three hit. You get two additional with flurry of blows. Yeah. So okay. So three. If all three hit while you're raging, that's three D four plus six. That's pretty strong at second level, uh, and it just gets better and better. Yeah. In either path you take. Yeah. And then is there anything within the Barbarian that uses Wisdom? There's a couple, I think. And, yeah, I, I think it they... depends on your subclass more than anything. But uh, your your unarmored defense is uh, Strength and Con. Or is it Dex and Con? Dex and Con. Dex and Con. Whereas Monk is Wisdom and Dex. So I guess that's kind of up to you which one you want to pick. Uh, I don't really think the Wisdom or the... I mean, con is, of course, always useful, but neither needs to be higher than the other, based on mm-hmm. the other stuff, um, besides stunning strike, which is, is that do a con saving throw? Yeah. So, so it's, it's up to you. Wisdom, DC. So I know for the monk, wis- they use wisdom a decent amount, depending on which you do, because which uh, tradition you take. Then barbarians, again, don't, I'm just flip, flipping through real quick. I'm not really seeing anything. Anything where it comes at all ever where they use wisdom? No, I, I don't. I, I think we're trying to attribute it to that because it fits with that shamanistic. I can't remember type those. type thing. Like even if you go like Path of the Totem Warrior, they, they get some spells they could cast, but it doesn't talk about anything with like these are not spells that have DCs or anything like that. I, I don't think I think wisdom is useless to them, other than that's... like perception and you know whatnot. Yeah, that's fine. So uh, that sounds like it's really only two skills that you have to focus on is just strength and well actually what are your minimums for 13 dex 13 wisdom 13 strength okay i mean we can work with that you'll probably have a lower constitution than you want but you don't a lot of the stuff that you're missing out on by having a uh, lower dex is actually made up for by the danger sense and that evasion where it doesn't really matter if you're succeeding on the deck saves all of the time because you're still having that damage uh, or just having advantage on it. it. It makes up for it being a little bit lower. Uh, you also just have that as a um, saving throw as a monk. Uh, but I guess you only get... Uh, do you also have it for a barbarian? I'm almost positive. A save? Yeah, as a save. Uh, strength and con strength and con okay so you only get it for the the one that you initially start with for the record uh path of the incestual guardian does use wisdom ah that's the one that does okay so that one you know for what incestual guardian ancestral incestual guardian okay (laughs) uh consult the spirits of your former sisters Stuff like that. It does use wisdom as your spellcasting ability. Path of the Storm Herald uses constitution as your spellcasting ability. It's kind of all over the map, so there is a lot of inconsistency there. Hmm. Right. <laughs> so, point is, you can put your decks at basically whatever you want, as long as it's over 13, and you're going to be fine. So the only thing that's really important is focusing on strength, con as well, because you need that at least 13, but they're really easy to you don't need count 13 oh it's wisdom 13 yes okay sorry uh so that one might be the the one that's just barely helping you out Mm -hmm. but that's all right i mean still only 13 i like how they were they were such assholes and they knew it because they put it at 13 because you're not getting that proficiency bonus that must have been on purpose you mean the uh skill bump yeah, like they're saying you need a minimum of 13. You got to swallow that 13, just like not get your bonuses. Just like, right. Oof. Instead of making a 12. Yeah, 12 or yeah. even 14, whatever it may be, just something that gets you a proficiency bonus. They they knew what they were doing there. Mm-hmm. It's almost like these people are professionals. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now any final thoughts? Nothing for me. Okay. I'll say decent class. Not very exciting. Uh... Can be done. Works fine. Not doing a lot for me, though. Yeah, I'm not, like, excited about it. But I could absolutely see somebody having a character concept that we haven't thought of that just really is a fun, cool, dynamic character concept that the monk barbarian brings to life. 
Comparing it to that Barbarian Rogue one, which one seems more interesting to you? Barbarian Rogue. Barbarian Rogue. Yeah. Such a better class. I just feel like that one's so locked into to one idea where you're just going to be that, that crime boss that was basically... Yeah, but that crime boss is cool as hell. We, yeah. had, we had other ideas, but go listen to that podcast to find out. That was uh-huh. episode three. All right, now on to our monster of the week. So today we are tackling the Oblix. Uh, this is on page... 217 of Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, uh, through 219 for what it's worth. And the Oblex is a strange creation that the Mind Flayers uh, seem to have accidentally made. Uh, They are puddles of goo that start off rather weak with an Oblex spawn and make their way up to be some extremely interesting monsters uh, i'd say this would be a very suitable arc uh for for any free form campaign uh, unless you were working with mind flayers specifically in which case that'd also be great what do you like about them i don't like anything about them <laughs> uh no so what i really like about them uh is is really past this oblex spawn uh those are pretty weak they're a, a challenge rating one fourth kind of uninteresting as an enemy but maybe as a minion for these other ones here uh, we've got an adult Oblex and an elder Oblex. All right, so what's really interesting about the Oblexes uh, is they are created by Mind Flayers, but they seem to be made almost on accident. They're just these puddles of goo uh, that are looking to devour memories, uh, which is a rather strange concept, but kind of in line with the Mind Flayers. Of they eat brains, these just eat memories. Makes sense. Uh, so these Oblex spawns, are just going around trying to eat as many memories as they can. Uh, once they get all full up of memories, they've got to start uh, shedding some of these. But if they've been around for a while, they turn into these interesting adult and elder oblexes. Uh, so what happens is they begin to form this giant goo that can spit out some tendrils, recreating these memories that they've stolen. Uh, so they might be a shopkeeper or just anybody in town. Uh, and the only way that you could tell is if you notice the very, very faint scent of sulfur. So, yeah, and to clarify, they're not recreating the memories. They're recreating the people the memories are from. Yes, that's true. Yeah, when, when they devour their memories, they... It doesn't explicitly say, my understanding is, it doesn't remove the remember, memories from the original person, but they get all of it. They now know who this person is, has their memories, and know their personality, and can faithfully recreate them. Right. The uh, eat memories action that the adult Oblex and the elder Oblex can make you infer that they lose their memory. It actually says that they get some memory loss, uh, which takes the form of losing ability score checks and attack bonuses, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what could be really great is the idea of a, maybe not an entire city being taken over by one of these Oblex, uh, but more a area in the city. Uh, the only thing that these Oblex need is a one inch hole to put their tendril through uh, to recreate this memory. And unless that's severed, there's nothing that's really obvious about these things being the Oblex. Uh, For all intents and purposes, the memory is the Oblex as well. They're occupying both spaces. Uh, And if you get up to the older Elder Oblex, uh, it's just a terrifying monster that can really cripple a party in only a couple of turns. And another thing to note is that this... Elder Oblex can impersonate up to 13 separate entities that it's consumed. Right. So at the same time. At the same time. It's got an entire network. Could he have an entire little block of a city all run by the Oblex impersonating the memories it's consumed? Right, which makes you think that you know they might be trying to lure in more people. Uh, so as I, I mentioned earlier, they could be a shopkeeper. They could be... Uh, a priest, literally anything in this tiny area, and 
nobody would really suspect too much uh, right off the bat, but there might be disappearances or people just getting amnesia uh, in in the area. Yeah, or yeah, somebody disappears and then replaced by this Oblex. Right. So they didn't disappear yeah. at all. Uh, yeah, suspicion's no gone. Yeah. yeah, he's back. It's fine. He just kind of yeah. smells a little bit like eggs. <laughs> <laughs> now the the one thing though is they do have a limit with how far they can stretch that strand of slime. It's only 120 feet away. Uh, so you're definitely going to be limited to that city block. Uh, it, it can't be a more active member of the community. It should be somebody who's more or less expected to be just in their house, uh, which might make things a little bit tricky. Uh, but I, I think there'd be good ways to get around that. Uh, maybe it seems like there's actually just a, a sickness around and one of the Oblexes comes out and says, oh, we need to quarantine this area. And that's why all of us are staying in our little homes here. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines and, mm-hmm. and just lures people in. All right. I like the idea of maybe the characters are invited to some sort of dinner party or any, anything like that where there's going to be a gathering of people or there needs to be there, there's the goblins outside of town are getting too much. Let's gather the council come to this meeting hall and we'll sit and discuss and you start getting the impression something's wrong someone's not right here and maybe you know there's been something in the campaign earlier to see the idea of what an oblex is to almost to send them down the path of this kind of there's an infiltrator here who are they and then at the end it turns out literally the entire party is the same oblex yeah they've impersonated everybody this entire time you have not talked to an actual person yeah, that'd be really cool. I like that idea a lot. And that's the, uh, the beauty of the Oblex is, is, is while it is a slime, it is one of the smarter enemies that you will ever encounter in any game. It's just off the charts brilliant and can do that kind of stuff. Yeah, the yeah. Elder Oblex is a 22 intelligence, which is given the DM a lot of a lot of room to work with in setting up some some wacky hijinks <laughs> wacky brain eating memory stealing people impersonating hijinks like the an, usual you know like an episode of scooby-doo <laughs> everybody was turned into brain zombies <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah with, with their intelligence that's as you said it sets up a lot and, and so these are really formidable creatures that are just terrifying manipulators and could excel at so many things, but their only want and purpose is to just keep consuming more memories. So you have all that potential in raw talent dedicated to this relatively straightforward, simple task. You would imagine they would be pretty goddamn good at it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so they've got some spell casting. The adult Oblex is is only challenge rating five, so none of its spells are part particularly scary uh besides the fact that it can do a hold person spell three times a day at third level that's i mean pretty pretty locking right there especially for Mm -hmm. any of your your melee characters um i'd say it's more the eat memories that really terrifies me though uh so the way that that's working is uh it's it's regular turn it can make a one attack for the adult two for the elder, uh, and then one use of its eat memories. That makes the target do a DC 15 wisdom saving throw, or they take some psychic damage, 48, which is pretty scary as is. Psychic damage is tough to get around. Uh, But from there, they start to get their memory drained. Uh, The target must roll 1d4 and subtract the number rolled from any ability check or attack roll it makes. Each time the target is memory drained beyond the first die, the die size increases by one. So the D4 goes to a D6, D6 becomes a D8, all the way up to a D20. Uh, Once they get to that D20, they're unconscious for an entire hour. So that just stacks. I mean, if you don't have... First, you're going to have that issue of succeeding on the DC 15 wisdom save. At level 5 or lower, whatever you may be, that could be pretty tough. Uh, for the Elder Oblex, it goes up to DC 18. And once you fail once, you're now just in kind yeah. of this trap. Well, actually, it, it doesn't say for saving throws. so It doesn't, but at the same time, this is something you can't shake off. You need a long rest, right. a short rest, 
lesser restoration or greater restoration or a heal. It doesn't end. Right, right. There's no, uh, I get to roll again kind of thing. Exactly. So mm -hmm. it does make it more difficult to hit because it lowers that uh, attack roll. So spellcasters might not be as debilitated by this as melee combatants, uh, but it's still scary. Yeah, you don't want to stand next to this thing. No, not and, at all. And especially this heat memory, it's not like... So I feel like a lot of other creatures and monsters in here they'll have that really cool debilitating ability and it's a standalone thing you do that and nothing else or you do all these other attacks and do damage and not that cool ability right not with these they eat memory is part of their multi-attack right they do their actual attack which does decent damage and then eat memory on top of it right and they could do it every single turn turn after turn after turn while also dealing significant damage right and i think it it almost makes the challenge rating on the elder oblex kind of off in my opinion saying that that's a challenge rating 10 really varies based on your party uh because mm -hmm. i mean a, a dc 18 save or they take 8d 10 psychic damage is crazy i would say it varies based off your situation because in this party type situation each of the uh, selfless impersonations, the uh, creations they create and send out, those can do everything the Elder Oblex can, full stop. Yeah. Now, if you ran into an Elder Oblex who was just like, I don't know, changing his pants, <laughs> and it's like, you're all 30 feet away, he's not going to get within striking distance of anybody. You're just going to annihilate him before he has a chance to even move. But if you are a smart DM, you can create a situation that's almost unwinnable with an entire party of Oblex creations all being able to cast this on every single member of the party. Yeah, well, once per. Once per, but per. you know, you've got your reactions. You can set it up so everybody is in within some level of range to get hit. Right, that's mm -hmm. the important part because they have blind sight out to 60 feet and then after that they're just entirely blind so the only way that they're going to be able to see everybody and be within range of everybody is if they've got all these tendrils out mm -hmm. so you're not just fighting one area of a creature there right. might be 10 of these things surrounding the battlefield and they just have complete control and yeah. that's opportunity attacks if you try and move it all you're not really going to be able to hide as a spellcaster it's just complete battlefield domination yeah yeah especially with that ambush thing like when the dinner party right or whatever initiate the attack when somebody has you know if it's a party of four which is really common if there's mm -hmm. 10 of these every one of them could have at least two next to them right and then if do you would you allow eat memories as an opportunity attack because it's kind of listed as an attack it has a five foot range but it's not a melee attack yeah no i probably would uh error to not let that happen yeah I would just, as a DM, feel super bad about yeah. doing that. That's my main thought. Uh, to get into the mechanics of it, that might just be a bit of an oversight. Because is an opportunity attack specified as one weapon attack? Uh, depending on situations, it's almost that way. Okay, that's that's how, how I've at least viewed it. So, I mean, still, that, that pseudopod is nothing to mess with. You do not want to provoke an opportunity attack against that. We're talking... Plus 7 to hit, which is pretty standard, but 46 plus 3 bludgeoning and 2d6 psychic damage. And we're talking 10 feet range. You're not going to be range. able to escape that well. No. Right, right. So you basically start combat and just tell everybody, like, yep, good luck moving. Uh, yeah. And even then, I mean, it's got 20... So this is actually interesting. The speed is 20 feet. Does that mean that if you have a tendril out 80 feet, does the central thing have to move 20 feet and then everything moves 20 feet along with it or can we move one of those tendrils 20 feet alone or each of them separately how do we limit that movement that's actually a very good question hmm. and it almost uh it makes me wonder if simulcrum which it's trying to emulate has got the answers to that simulcrum yeah it's a very high level wizard spell yeah that creates oh, okay. a standalone copy that you give it orders but it acts independently that's what that's pretty different um yeah i actually have no idea. that's a really good question to twitter <laughs> twitter uh the one thing that i i, I while we're while you're looking that up 
uh, that I like is that the skills it has are extremely wide. Uh, we've got plus 10 to Arcana, plus 8 to Deception, plus 10 to History, plus 10 to Nature, plus 5 to Perception, plus 10 to Religion. So at first I thought, well, this is a combat creature. Why does that make sense? Well, the buildup in between allows a lot of personalities for it to take on more or less yeah. you know if it wants to be that priest boom plus 10 to religion if it wants to impersonate the warlock plus 10 to arcana just a flat plus eight to deception uh you're not going to have your pcs really seeing through this ruse quickly yeah uh, i mean you might have them make a perception check and you might hear oh it kind of smells like sulfur but that doesn't give anything away uh unless they're Terrible, terrible uh, meta players who just know what an Oblex is. Right. Listen to podcasts in their spare time. Yeah. <laughs> and also, the Oblex, the older Oblex is uh, spell casting is pretty scary. So, DC 18, at will, it could charm person as a fifth level spell or hold person at will. And then three times a day, confusion, dimension door, dominate person, fear, hold monster, hypnotic pattern, and telekinesis. Jeez, could you imagine that combination of having the, the tendrils take over the entire battlefield and then do fear? Then everybody just has to keep running away and you're getting so many opportunity attacks. Yeah. I mean, I guess only one because it's just a reaction. You only get one reaction per turn. You could create, if you were a really just D-bag DM, you could create like a net of simulcrums. It's just like spaced out perfectly. So every round they got another fucking flurry of pseudopods. Hold on, so you have a long hallway... 15 feet wide. <laughs> okay. And then you put the, the semicrums. Semicrums. Yeah, whatever. Um, at, at the walls. So there's a five-foot corridor down the middle. And then the obelix is at the end of it. <laughs> it's blocking you in. And so they fear, and you only have a five-foot corridor to run down. Opportunity attacks all the way. 120 feet of opportunity attacks. <laughs> no mercy. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess they also do the individual... People they're impersonating get each opportunity attack. No, I don't no. think that's the case. No. It, it it more or less operates as the Elder Oblex, so you do get okay. one per go. So, it's, but with 120 feet, you do get at least two. Yeah. So that seems like a ridiculous. It's a good way to opportunity. Oh, attacks. you know what? I just it, noticed. It's a good way to get your players to stop coming to do <laughs> The slimy tether is immune to damage, but it is severed if there is no opening at least one inch wide between the Oblex main body and its. Say that again? Simul simulacrum? simulacrum. Okay. Uh, so there's really the only way to like get yourself a little bit free here is if you do something like a... Close the door. Close the door. Yeah, well, underneath the door. Um, it's a shitty door if it's got a one-inch gap. It's just like a, a bathroom stall door. That's what we Did have. Did you think doors were like that back in the day? I was like all doors were like bathroom stall doors. So they like, are. Well, we can't shave it down so it doesn't scrape on the floor. So let's put it a foot off the ground. If you were in this thing's, let's say, layer for lack of a better term, don't you think every single thing would have like a grate on it with at least one inch? That would be a great uh, hint yes. is that you're in the oblex layers. All the doors have been had six inches sawed off the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do with your uh, doors there? Nothing. <laughs> Why do you smell like sulfur? Nothing. Experiments. <laughs> um, now, how do you feel about having some of these Oblex spawns? Because it is supposed to just, like, essentially shed those things. So it could almost be assumed that it's going to have some of these spawns around, and that's where those opportunity attacks come in. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you're afraid of the actual Elder, and then the Oblex spawns are just in your way. Yeah, they're kind of just garbage bash away uh, creatures. They're not like they're basically just slimes. Right. No, I'm not saying that they're actually difficult to get past. Um, and you know, taking that opportunity attack isn't going to kill you with just one. I get. I mean, I could see the party fleeing into a room that happened to be full of oblex spawns because they're they're kind of they're not that smart. They've got fourteen in. So they're getting there, but I could see uh, the Oblex Elder being like, I don't want to deal with you like weird baby garbage things. <laughs> and just relegating it to like this big room full of bathtubs. And you're like, oh, what's in the bath? Oh, no. It's, <laughs> it's more. It's more of them. 
<laughs> so yeah, they I, I could see this being an obnoxious flavor character, and that's what I think they were going for. Yeah, they nailed it. Did you find anything about movement? It's it's too specific to the Oblex. Mm-hmm. It's just it, there's nothing like that. Yeah. My call would be I don't know. I don't even know. It's I'd probably limit the movement of the uh, characters in combat. Yeah. Outside of combat, that'd be really friggin' obvious. It's like everybody has to take turns moving 20 feet. <laughs> right, right, of course. You people so, look like this weird uh, kind of Rube Goldberg machine just trying to <laughs> serve dinner. And it's like, nothing. <laughs> I, I don't know. I would... I, I would argue the, the the creatures that are being impersonated should have the speed stat of that creature. Because it's saying everything about them is a faithful recre- recreation. You cannot tell. Which means if, if it's a human that can only move 20 feet, even in combat, it's, I mean, that's kind of dumb. It's not how it works. And then if you look at this thing, the, the core of the oblex only being able to move 20 feet makes a lot of sense. Right. And I think that's what the speed is, the core of this oblex. If it has, then somebody that's impersonated off of it with a tendril and it's human, I think it should be able to move 30 feet individually. And I would, I would say if it's doing more than one, it really sucks for the party, but I wouldn't have them all have individual movement. Not opportunity attacks, but individual movement. Yes, that's that at least is fair. I'd still limit it to that 20 uh, instead of giving them just a 30 just for, I don't know, I think that just balance. makes, yeah, balance and sure. it just makes a little more sense. And they are not, they are faithful representations, but they're still made out of goo. Yeah. Right. And also the fact is, you're just not going to need to move that much. Mm-hmm. For the most part, you should just be totally encompassing this field. Uh, I think really what I'd want to do is find a way to make the battlefield itself a little bit interesting. And I think this would be a, a really good one to do that. Just because they're going to have so much uh, horizontal accessibility mm-hmm. that it might be good to add some some verticality to this battlefield. Uh, I don't know how much you could deal with, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A active field with like, you know, rocks falling, for example, obviously that, that doesn't make too much sense here. Uh, but ability to maybe close some doors and create these points of, of them having to get around in different ways, or you being able to get up to a rafter. Um, it doesn't say that they can just move. 20 feet up Mm -hmm. i don't know how i'd rule that to be honest because they are just attached to a tendril but let's keep it where it's a faithful recreation where people can't climb like that so these things can't climb like that right uh so that just might make it i mean i could see a pseudopod just like going straight up and then materializing or can it lift these things by the tendril that it attaches to that sounds less realistic than what i'm describing so as a bonus action, it can extrude one of these pieces. So what if you keep it where it doesn't start out with all of its of its tendrils here or of its uh, impersonification or <laughs> so much more, so many more syllables than it has. Sulfurous impersonation. That's what it's called. Impersonification. Yep. You heard it here first, Insert personify anthropomorphism. <laughs> so it starts off where there's only like eight of them. And then somebody's like, oh, sweet, I'm up top. You totally can't get me. And then just like, as a bonus action, and just have it up top there and materialize up there as well. Uh, So I don't think I'd, that's just one way I'd limit it, but still allow for that verticality. Yeah. We're going over on time here, but one more more thought. Actually, what balances it a bit, so if you have the 10 of these impersonations, and we're saying, oh, they all get if they all get their own movement, and it's kind of crazy battlefield control. Attacking one of these does damage to the oblix because it is the oblix. Yes. So having ten of them out, it gives them more control of the battlefield, but it makes them significantly more vulnerable. Right. Because you pit, take your pick. Any single, any one of these ten that you hit damages the oblix. Yep. Like, even if they're in another room or whatever. Yep. That's why I was saying the uh, the oblix spawns would be nice because otherwise you just have one person. Uh, I mean, really, just everybody attacking the same thing, and, and you really yeah. lose that that boss feel. Yeah, because it's only 115 hit points. Right. now, And the other thing to look at is the spells. The spells were almost designed to be like, oh, shit, 
One of my uh, tendril guys is getting just slammed on. Yeah. Hypnotic pattern, fear, whatever, and then just right. bounce. Yeah. Now, the last thing, again, last, uh, that we actually haven't mentioned yet is the aversion to fire. Uh, so if they take any fire damage, they have disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks until the end of its next mm. turn. That's super debilitating. Fire damage is extremely abundant. Now, the only way that you can really limit that is just not telling your players outright of course it's got it's it's almost better than like a troll because everybody knows that a troll mm-hmm. needs to have fire damage against it oblexes you're not expecting them to know so they might accidentally do fire damage and you can kind of describe how it recoils more than a normal attack uh and they might think oh this thing has uh i don't know vulnerability. Um, yeah vulnerability when really it's just getting disadvantage and just something to keep in mind ways to to play that Next week on D&D, we will be uh, experimenting with the Olex. Oh, never mind. I thought you were doing the outro. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Go on. I'm the worst. Kevin, god damn it. (laughs) I'm keeping that. We're just, we're gonna, we're gonna sit here and we're gonna play uh, various roles of DM and player with multiple (laughs) characters trying to figure out how do we play the Olex in a balanced manner. We'll be playing at least 20 to 50 rounds of generic combat against (laughs) the Olex. With full knowledge, but we'll pretend we don't have it. So, you know, we'll be experimenting. We're going to find out, is this a viable monster? (laughs) We're not doing that. No. 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 I don't know what we're doing next week. We'll tell you next week. Next week. Monsters and Multiclass. We're going to take a look at the Druid Paladin Multiclass, as well as the Night Walker in Mordekainen's Tome of Foes. Get ready for a spooky episode, everyone.